0: Thank you, please be seated. Well, Happy New Year. It's a new decade. You know, a few months ago, our pastors, in one of our meetings on Tuesday, we got together, we looked at our Sermon on the Mount series, and we said, do we want to end the decade last week with a sermon on lust and adultery, and do we want to launch a new decade and a new year with the first sermon on divorce? And we considered going topical and saying, well, let's do a one-off and preach on something else. But then we remembered our values and our commitment to expository preaching. Yes, there is freedom in the Lord guiding us and leading us to choose a certain book or certain series. And right now we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we felt like, well, there is no compelling reason why we should not continue and trust that there are some of you here this morning that in God's sovereign ordinance need to hear this message. And on Tuesday, as I took the time to reflect and pray about divorce, you know, divorce is a very personal topic to me uh, because I grew up in a family where my parents were divorced and the Lord taught me forgiveness. He taught me redemption. uh, And He taught me how to overcome anger through the years. But obviously you know, going through it, there are still triggers, and there are still scars, and uh, it is a redemptive process. And so I took the time to reflect and pray, and the more and more I began to study, and this is probably the fourth or fifth time preaching on this topic, and maybe even this passage, I began to see that divorce and marriage is really about the gospel. You see, even if you're single this morning, or youth, or maybe you've Dedicated your life to celibacy, and you'll never get married. This still applies to you, it applies to us. Because throughout Scripture, divorce is the opposite of what God would do, even though God's people deserve it. You see, you, you go through the Old Testament and you see that if God followed the letter of his own law, that his own covenant people deserve to be divorced from God. God has every right and reserves every right to divorce his children when they are spiritually unfaithful. Israel, throughout the Old Testament, was guilty of spiritual infidelity and spiritual adultery, yoking themselves to the various idols of this world. And in the Christian life, when you talk about a professing believer entering into a covenant with God through Jesus Christ, we are the bride of Christ. Whenever we yoke ourselves to the various idols of this world, even for a minute, it is like a one-night stand. Only the sad reality is that we don't do spiritual one-night stands. We go over and over again pursuing the various idols of this world. Yet when we come back to Christ, he never issues us a certificate of divorce, though he has every right to do so. And so we see that marriage is an illustration of the gospel. Marriage is never designed and never meant to be easy. In the same way the Christian life is not designed to be easy. Marriage is not the only means, but it is one means that God ordained for one purpose. The purpose of marriage is to sanctify two individuals, causing two sinners to come together to say, I do, so that they die to themselves, so that they become one, and in the process of dying to themselves, they become more like Christ. That is the Christian purpose of marriage. Marriage is not for everyone. The Apostle Paul was not married. To our knowledge, and I believe it, that Jesus was not married. So marriage is only one means of sanctification. For some of you, singleness is one means of sanctification or celibacy. But God uses marriage to deal with sin, and that's why it's hard. In the same way, because marriage is an illustration of the Christian life, the Christian life is meant To be hard because the trials and the difficulty and the struggle with sin causes you to die to your sin and to cling deeply and dearly to Christ. So let's go to the the Word of God this morning. If you have God's Word, please take it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. It's only two verses. Jesus is very clear. He's very clear this morning, but it is not popular. Even among conservative Christians, this passage is not popular. And many shy away from preaching it. So we'll only have one point. Here's your point before we read the text. The point is don't take divorce lightly because the penalty for destroying God's ordinance is heavy. I'll put it up on the screen for you in a moment. But let's first read the words of Jesus. Jesus says this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And look at this strong saying, very unpopular even among Christians. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is a strong saying. And what Jesus is doing is he's challenging the thinking of his times, the Jewish thinking that the Pharisees, we see that in Matthew 19, where Jesus revisits this topic. And generally, the common culture, they were taking divorce very lightly. And Jesus is saying, and to our society today, don't take divorce lightly Because the penalty for destroying God's ordinance is heavy. I use the word heavy, not hell. And the reason I say that is because divorce will be forgiven. You will have divorced people in heaven. Just as murder can be forgiven, just as anger will be forgiven, just as adultery will be forgiven, divorce can be forgiven. But if you murder someone, you will end up in heaven if you repent and turn to Christ. But Christ doesn't deliver you from jail or the death penalty. Because there are consequences to sin. In the same way, divorce, even if you have a permissible grounds for divorce, it doesn't mean that you will not deal with the baggage of heavy shame and guilt. And the pain of facing your children or your loved ones or your family members with the baggage of this heavy guilt and a heavy heart because the consequences for destroying God's ordinance is heavy. It's not light. But the world wouldn't want to tell you otherwise is that if you get divorced, you will walk out lighter. You will walk out happier. Your problems will go away. Life will be easier. And that is not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says the ordinance of God is so heavy that anyone who tries to separate it will deal with the heavy consequences. And when we say, let no man separate this union, that includes the husband and wife, not just in a third party or a fourth party. John Piper once said in a sermon, quote, since God is the one who ordains marriage, he's the only one who can end a marriage. And you know how God ends a marriage? He does so by death. End quote. Till death do us part. All right. Jesus takes marriage very seriously. Now, what we see in verse 31, when Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, he's referring to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 you can read verses 1 to 4 for the entire context, but for our purposes, I just want you to see verse 1. Moses, through, the word of God, through God's divine inspiration, said, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand and sends her out, of, out from his house. So this is part of the Jewish law. That there was permissible divorce. But there is a debate. What did Moses mean by indecency? We, in our biblical interpretation of the context of all of scripture, we see very clearly that Moses was referring to sexual immorality and namely spiritual infidelity through adultery. But what happened was among the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, there was a debate. There were two major schools of interpretation. While the conservative school of Rabbi Shammai interpreted indecency as adultery, and I believe that is the right interpretation of Moses, the liberal school of Rabbi Halil believed that indecency could refer to almost anything viewed as indecent in the eyes of a husband, so anything as trivial as cooking a bad meal, the husband could say that meal was quite indecent. I'm going to issue you a certificate of divorce. And legally, they thought that Moses permitted this. And Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy held by many Jews of his time. The Pharisees sadly held the majority liberal view and they misinterpreted Moses' intent for the certificate of divorce. You see, Moses was not offering a license for divorce. Rather, a certificate of divorce was instituted to regulate the rate of sin because divorce, just like in our day, was already happening. You see, a sad reality is divorce is happening inside of the church today, inside of Christian circles. Divorce is prescribed by Christian counselors, sadly, at times. And even when there is not adultery and there is not desertion, Christians are at times counseled to divorce, and even though God's word is very clear. And so we see this as an issue where the thinking of the world begins to creep in to the church. And the solution is pragmatism. It is pragmatic. It is easier, it seems. But what we know spiritually Is it, no, it's not easier. Because there's something that goes beyond legal terms or financial settlements. It is the fact that you have to face God. And when you face your children, if you have some, and if you go through a divorce, you're facing God's design. Isn't it very interesting that when you look at a child, the child may look like one of the parents, but really they bear the traits of both father and father and mother, husband, and wife. Children are a reminder of what it means of divorce. Imagine taking a saw and sawing your child in half and making them choose. It's very interesting that God sees divorce from the viewpoint of a child. That's how God sees divorce. you got to think about it that way. Because when you go to Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 9, you see The real intent of Moses, explained by Jesus. Why don't you turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 19, 3 to 9? I don't have it for you on the PowerPoint, but uh, Matthew 19, 3 to 9. The Pharisees, and and this is where Matthew chapter 5 comes into clarity of, of who Jesus is addressing. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, let me put in some pastoral insight here. This is the church member going to the pastor and saying, Pastor, please tell me that I can divorce. Marriage is hard. I'm not denying that. Reconciliation seems insurmountable. Please tell me that it's okay to divorce. Please tell me it's okay to divorce. Okay? That's what they're asking. And he answered... Have you not read that he, he, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And, when you, and I'll add this, Jesus didn't say it, but when you produce children, they are like coming out of one flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Whatever therefore God has joined together, let no man separate And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So basically, Jesus is saying, God, just like it says in Malachi, God never prescribes divorce. He hates divorce. It is not his purpose. What God has joined together, let no man separate. But because you are unwilling to listen and because divorce is so common in society and because divorce is creeping into Judaism and because divorce was common in Judaism, it is permitted because people are unwilling to reconcile because of the hardness of hearts. So the pastor ought to say, yes, even if adultery was committed or desertion, You have some grounds, but it's not God's preference. Reconciliation is preferable. But because of the hardness of heart, it is permitted. But there are still consequences. Verse 9, it says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So there is a reluctance in Jesus' permission. There is an except for one exception, sexual immorality. I mean, it's clear as day. And so this is what we understand Moses was teaching. Michael J. Wilkins, arguably one of the greatest professors that I've ever sat under at Talbot School of Theology, wrote this in one of his commentaries. He explains that Moses instituted a certificate of divorce to do three things. One, to protect the sanctity of marriage from something indecent, which is adultery, sexual immorality, indecent, defiling the relationship two, protect the woman from a husband who might simply send her away, simply send her away without any cause, and three, to document her status as legitimately divorced so that she, could, she would not be seen or thought of as a harlot or a runaway adulteress. Meaning, Moses sees Israel, he sees that men are abusing the system. I, I early on, in a very male-dominated society, where in the Old Testament, it was, it was like women didn't have the right to divorce their husbands back then. And so a, a man can just be like, well, I think you're indecent, I'm going to send you away. And she has no way to provide for herself, no one wants to marry her. Uh, how do you know she's not a harlot or an adulteress and even be stoned or killed for being accused of that? Moses says, give her a certificate of divorce. He's trying to regulate sin that's rampant. He's saying that people's hearts are already hardened towards God, though they claim a relationship with God. So I don't want divorce, but I will set up some type of regulation because your heart's already hardened. But that is exactly what the children see. What the children see in their parents, they don't understand. And, and even when they do understand, if they ever read Scripture, they're going to see it even more. That they, they say, look, Daddy might have committed a sin, but Mommy won't forgive. Her heart is hardened towards Daddy. Or Mommy committed a sin, and Daddy won't forgive. Daddy's heart is hardened towards Mommy. Or both parents have hardened their hearts towards one another. Now, of course, when there's actual sexual immorality or desertion, we'll see later, that there is some grounds and some cause. But sadly, what's happening is that this whole thing about irreconcilable differences has somehow creeped into the Christian church. And I don't see that anywhere in Jesus' teaching. But, But we'll see how this applies to the gospel. All right? The New Testament realigns with, with Jesus' uh, Jesus's teaching. The New Testament realigns with the teachings of Moses. What we see from Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9, it is a teaching that a lot of Christians don't like. It says divorce is allowed on the grounds of adultery. That's it. Later on, the Apostle Paul adds desertion by an unbelieving spouse as permissible grounds for divorce. Because if if someone commits adultery and they're unwilling to repent and they leave the marriage, then they've deserted their spouse. So desertion and adultery are are related. Or if you become a Christian and you weren't Christian before and your husband or wife uh, leaves you because you've given your life to Jesus, that is desertion. Right There are gray areas, which, since the Bible does not talk about, time does not permit, permit me to get into. But in a Sunday school classroom, you could talk about, so raise your hand and ask them, don't ask me, <laughs> that is abuse a form of desertion. So there are gray areas like that, and, and we can talk about that. Right? but number, But clearly... We see, number three, that reconciliation should be attempted at all costs. If the person guilty of adultery is unrepentant and unwilling to reconcile the marriage, divorce becomes a last resort. This is the unpopular teaching that I have to say. I tried. I tried to look everywhere to find a way out for you, and I couldn't. God's word is clear, is that even if your spouse has sexually cheated on you, God's will for you is to forgive and stay in the marriage. That's clearly what it says. That's, that's God's will. That's why Malachi says God hates marriage. Yes, you have, you have the grounds. So you can divorce. You can divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality. But that is not God's will. But the good news is that the gospel brings healing even to those of you who have wrongfully divorced, right? And we need to get to the gospel. I'm I'm telling you, Jesus' standard is so high. It is so high, and this is why divorce, this sermon, applies to singles. Because you begin to see that how we as humans are wired is the exact opposite of how the gospel is designed. We are wired to say, you did this to me, I do this to you. and eye for an eye. You cheated on me. You're, it's done. Look, the Bible says it. My pastor told me. Look, it says it right here. Jesus says it, except for adultery. So I'm going to divorce you because I have the right. Yes, you have the right. But you see how that reveals right there a hardened heart? Now, it's different if, if, if the other person leaves you and doesn't want you. But if the other person is saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, let's go to counseling, and you say, no, no, I don't want to listen. Look, the Bible says it. That reveals the heart of an unbeliever. I know you don't want to hear that, but that's what Jesus is saying. That's how the world thinks, an eye for an eye. And I want you to see today how strong Jesus's teaching is. Look at verse 32. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 32. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this needs to be explained, and here's what's happening, okay? Here's what's happening. The religious leaders are saying, okay, I know the law, so they're not actually having sex with someone outside of marriage. They will, but they're saying, look, I want that woman or the other way around because the bible doesn't discriminate. I want that man. I know that sexual adultery is a sin. So I'm going to issue a certificate of divorce first. Then I'll go and have sex with someone else. So I've never committed adultery. Hmm, I don't like her cooking. I'm going to send her away. What Jesus is saying is even if you've never committed sexual adultery, okay? If you have a wrongful, illicit divorce, in God's eyes, he sees it as sexual adultery. That's a strong teaching. He's basically saying, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you can't get around this. I know that you guys haven't physically committed adultery and you think you're clean. You think you've obeyed the Ten Commandments. And then you look at Moses and say, you don't like your wife. You send her away with a certificate. Then you get married to another woman and have sex with her. Look, God looks at your first marriage and says, that is not biblical grounds for divorce. The state of California may say, hey, you're divorced. But in God's eyes, you're still married. And so he's going to judge you. You have to face him. He'll forgive you, you'll go to heaven, but you'll be miserable. Your soul will have no peace and no rest. Every time you try to sing a praise song, you're going to be reminded of your sin. And eventually, people can't take it anymore and they desert the faith because they can't face God. But the good news is, we got to get to the gospel, but before we get there, there's still more bad news. Look at the last phrase of verse 32. Isn't that confusing? Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What are you talking about? Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I thought that the church prescribes remarriage. Yes, Jesus is not against remarriage when it is a rightful divorce. But again, let me explain it. Jesus is not against remarriage. Remarriage is permitted if the divorce was also permissible in God's eyes. So here's where we need to make it clear. Okay, First, let's make what is clear clear. If a woman commits adultery and leaves her husband, then she is unlawfully divorced. If a man commits adultery and then leaves his wife, that person is guilty of the adultery. They leave the marriage. When they remarry someone else, they are not married, in God's eyes, and the person who marries them commits adultery. But second, second, it doesn't matter right? if you remarry. If the first marriage was not rightly divorced, meaning God sees it and he's like, well, that's not grounds. You guys got divorced for irreconcilable differences. In God's eyes, it doesn't matter what the state says. You're still married to your first spouse. And when God sees it and you remarry, he says, that's adultery. Wow, the standard is high. The standard's high. So I tried. This week, I said, How can I soften this? You know, I, I definitely love my parents. I definitely understand the pain of divorce. I definitely want to see hope. And I look and I look. I look to 1 Corinthians. I look at desertion. I look at all the commentaries. And I just couldn't soften Jesus' teaching. And then I said, Here's the hope it's in the gospel. It's in the gospel, meaning if you weren't a Christian and you got divorced and then you got saved and you're looking at this and say, can I be forgiven? Yes, you can. There are consequences, but the gospel brings healing. It brings healing to you. It brings healing to your children. It reconciles you to God. Maybe some of you are thinking about, oh, man, I, I, I blew it. I blew it. The gospel offers hope. Let me tell you God's standard. God's standard is ironic because I mentioned that the gospel contains the power to restore broken marriage because we're constantly breaking our covenant to God. But the nature of the gospel is to restore us to God. And Christ came to reconcile broken relationships. Right? Christ doesn't issue us a certificate of divorce. Instead, he points back to the cross. He says, as long as that cross stands, I will not divorce you, even though you are constantly spiritually unfaithful. The big idea this morning, this is law with gospel, and then you know we're not done yet. You know, you know we're not done yet. The big idea is permissible divorce regulates sin. That's all it does. It doesn't heal you. It doesn't fix anything. Meaning, even if you rightfully get divorced, it doesn't heal you. It doesn't heal your children. It doesn't. It just regulates the sin. It stops the sin from continuing. But you still need restoration. And only Christ redeems the sinner. Big idea. Permissible divorce regulates sin. But only Christ redeems sinners. So the gospel truth applies to both married and singles. And here's where we see it. Someone told me over and over again that I need to tell more stories. Because the Bible's boring. And we need stories. So let me tell you one true story about the story of Hosea and Gomer. (laughs) The Bible is full of stories. If you want to, you can turn to Hosea chapter 1. In Hosea chapter 1, in verses 2 and 3 and verses 6 and verse 8, it says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, take to yourself an adulterous wife. Who would do that? And children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So Hosea obeys God. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Gomer, and and I just want you to see, Gomer's a mother of three children. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Verse 8, Gomer had another son. So here's Hosea marrying a harlot, marrying an adulterous woman who bears him three children. Now you go to Hosea chapter 3, and most of you who, are, who have been in the church, you know the story. Gomer is unfaithful. For whatever reason, she returns to a life of whoredom, prostitution. And we actually don't know how many times she has to be redeemed. But we assume that this might not be the first time. And in Hosea chapter 3 verse 1, it says, And the Lord said to me, go again. Go again. Men, we are proud people. If your wife cheats on you, would you go again to redeem her? She does it again. Would you go again? Go again, love a woman. I didn't say respect her. Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. That doesn't mean don't eat raisin cakes. What this means is the raisin cakes were used in pagan worship. Go again, go again. You see that Hosea has grounds. God, she's an adulteress. God, she has deserted me and our three children. Gomer, the mother of our three children, playing the whore. I have every right. And God says, yeah, that's the point. I have every right to divorce all of my spiritual children, God says, all of Israel. How many times has Hosea gone to redeem his wife from prostitution? And go, find your wife. Where does he go? I just want you to think about this. Where do you go, men, to find a prostitute? Places that you and I would never and should never go. Who do you face? What kind of men, or I don't want to use colloquialism, what kind of sexual slave masters do you have to deal with? What kind of gangsters there do you have to deal with? Who do you, where do you go? Where does Hosea have to go? Into the pits of the sexual slave trade that his wife yoked herself to. He already redeemed her once, and he goes again. Go find her. Go search for her. And when he finds her, what do you think he says? Hey, sir, that's my wife. What do you think that gangster is going to say? I don't care if that's your wife. Here's the cost. Here's the price. Look at what it says in verse 2. So I bought her from sexual slavery. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic, which means five to 10 bushels of barley. You bought her? Hosea, she's already yours. She's your wife. But he paid the penalty. He paid the price. He paid the cost. Beloved, do you not begin to see Jesus? Do you not begin to see that we are Gomer? That every single time we say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, please. I thought that I would find joy in pursuing finance and financial security. I thought I would find joy in sexuality. I thought I would find joy in, in these relationships. I thought I would find joy or satisfaction in pornography. I thought I would find joy in materialism. I thought I would for, find joy in pursuing fame or these goals in my career. And look where it's left me. I'm empty again. Will you take me back? And God looks at us and says, I have every right to divorce you but I will not. Not only that, but the way of sovereign election and sovereign grace is that God not only waits for us to come to him, God, like Hosea, goes in to where no man wants to go and no woman wants to go. He goes in to the, to the darkest places and finds us in the pit of our depravity, in the shame of our sin, and he pulls us out. What do you think Gomer said to Hosea? I mean, the shame and looking at her husband, going back to her children. I mean, it says that they were unfaithful children, but but what is she thinking? And Hosea takes her back. He goes and finds her. He pays for her. And God makes it clear that the story of Hosea and Gomer is a metaphor for how God loves Israel. So this morning we started with the hard teaching of Jesus, the law, that God hates divorce. Divorce is contrary to, it, to his will. It's so strong, yet the gospel is so strong. And isn't it great that the reason why God hates divorce is because he would never divorce us. It is contrary to his character. If God would divorce us, there would be no gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even if you've gone through a divorce right for wrong and you need healing and hope, or if you're a child who has gone through divorce, your, your hope and your restoration and your redemption and your ability and capacity to forgive, and even when you look at the marriage problems and you're saying it is insurmountable, Reconciliation is insurmountable. I will tell you this morning that God looks at our sin and our idolatry and he looks at it and says, it's insurmountable, but I will put my cross down on a mount of Calvary and I will give my son because God knew that a certificate of forgiveness would not pay the penalty for our sin. That him just declaring us righteous without a sacrifice, he had to give something so costly, Because that's how important marriage was to him and is to him. That he had to put his own son on the cross. And to say the fact that my son died for you, this is the illustration of my love for the church. Let no man separate me from my church. And just as the gates of Hades cannot separate Jesus from his bride, even when the bride is sinful, we as Christians need to do better than society and this world. And Jesus says, look, come to the cross. You will receive forgiveness. And that leads us into next week's passage, right? We begin to see it a little bit. You can look at verses 33 to 36 of Matthew 5, and we're going to preach it next week, but it talks about oaths. It talks about covenants. It talks about commitments. So the strong teaching is matched with a strong gospel. So let's end once again with the big idea. The big idea is this, permissible divorce, sometimes necessary though not preferred, sometimes it's necessary, it regulates sin. But it does not redeem sinners. All of us need the redemption of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and if you don't know Jesus, come to him, respond to the gospel. Jesus Christ came, he died for your sins, he bore your shame, He bore your guilt. He bore the penalty of hell. He bore the wrath of God. He died. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. And if you repent, if you confess, and if you turn your life to Jesus, he will not only forgive you, it's not just a declaration. He makes you whole. He declares you his and forgiven, and then he sanctifies you and makes you whole. He takes what is broken, and he makes us complete. Let's pray. Father. We come before this hard teaching this morning, and we see the high requirement of the law. At the same time, Lord, when we, when we look at all of Scripture, Lord, we see the high cost in which you pay to purchase us as sinners. We see your love through Hosea to Gomer. We see, Lord, how we are all guilty of spiritual infidelity and spiritual adultery, yet you pursued us and bought us back, and you made us your own. You redeemed us, and you cherished us, and then you formed us so that we would be the bride that we couldn't be. Father, I pray for all of the marriages in this room. Marriage is hard. It is not easy. I pray for healing. I pray for conversations and reconciliation to happen. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in those in this room who profess to be believers. And that the marriages would begin, not to be easy, but begin to reflect the high standard of Scripture. And that the power would come through the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Lord, I want to pray for the children Adult children and little children who have been affected, impacted, hurt by divorce. I pray, Lord, that they would not be bitter at their parents. I pray, Lord, that they would not be bitter at society. I pray, Lord, that they would not listen to the lies of Satan. That because they did not have the perfect model of a marriage, that they will fail in life or in relationships. Rather, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would look to the perfect marriage of Jesus to his bride. And that they would know that you would redeem them. And that they too, Lord, can become proclaimers of stories of redemption. Father, I want to pray for spouses in here who have been abandoned, deserted, or adultery committed unto them. And their unrepentant spouse has deserted them and left them. Father, I pray that you would bring deep healing. I pray, Lord, that you would bring deep restoration. Lord, I pray that you would bring hope. Father, I want to pray for those who have committed sin. In divorce or adultery, that there would not be shame or guilt covering them. That as they walk out of here today, Lord, that they would they would know that there is a Savior who will receive them and build them up, but they need to confess. Lord, that even the consequences may be facing their children, Lord, that you will walk them through one step at a time, that they can find sufficiency in knowing that Jesus forgives all sinners who confess and repent. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that the gospel would lead us into 2020 and that this message being so foreign to the unpopular nature of our society, Lord, that it would be light and salt in the hearts of all of us that we would go out into this world to redeem your design for marriage and healthy relationships. Father, fill this room with the power of your spirit to live as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.